I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're back together again. We are. Back in the pod closet. Back in the closet. Man, it has been such a crazy week. Like, I am so tired. I feel like I haven't stopped moving. Or, you know, just, like, being around family. The week, like, before you left, too, was so crazy Yeah, the last couple months have been pretty nuts. Like, and, um, you know, whenever you're, like, around family all the time, like, I love my family. It's exhausting. But I'm also, like, wow, like... This amount of drama just from being around <laughs> this many, like, people who I are feel. this into each other's lives uh-huh. is crazy. Because, yeah. you know, it's not like that whenever you're living on your own yeah, in another state. Yeah, they don't state. call you out of the way and, like, things like that. Yeah, and, like, you can't I believe know. what so-and-so did. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to. Like, I don't know if I want to I don't know if I want to do it. this. I know. Well, I finally got sick. You know, I think it was last mini-episode that we were together. You were saying how, like, you were sick. And I'm like, I can't get sick. I have to, like, keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. I finally got sick. So if I sound weird... Or if I start coughing randomly, hopefully we can cut it out. Yeah. But, like, everything's coming out right now. Yeah, it's I real sexy. totally hear you. I am I was about to lose my voice, so... I I'm, did lose I'm my just voice. I'm clinging on to not losing it. Yeah, today is my first day where I'm actually, like, it kind of hurts to talk, but, mm-hmm. like, I have my voice. Yeah. It's insane. I hate being sick. And <sighs> Me get, too. My nose is so raw. I went through a box of Kleenex in one day. That sucks. Yes. That seems it painful. It was awful, and, like, dude... We can cut this out, but, like, I think I told you I got that, like, CAT scan on my sinuses, Uh and they were like, you're fine. And I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm fine, because the right side of my face feels like there's a balloon behind it whenever I get sick. I can't hear out of my right ear. It's just, it's No bueno. I'm like, there's no way I'm fine. Anyways, let's get down to business. 
We're doing uh, a mini episode. We're going to tell you what's in the news. Yeah, we're going to tell you what's <laughs> in the news. And really, we're going to be focusing on a couple of things. We're not going to go in-depth on, like, a whole lot of stories. But I feel like the things that we do have to talk about, we have a lot to say about. Yeah. So, and um, we have listener mail, And we have great. some listener mail. So in an effort to not burden us too much to try and, like, get this said really fast, we'll just take our time on a couple of the bigger things. It's just, who? Yeah, we'll relax, kick back. Drink my wine. Yeah, exactly. Try not to hack a lung up. It's exactly. great. So, the first thing that I think that we should talk about, which is the biggest thing in our news cycle, mm-hmm. it's definitely dominating the news right now, is um, Cohen's, Michael Cohen's testimony. Mm-hmm. So, he testified before the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday... Um, And Michael Cohen, if you don't know, is Trump's former lawyer and really kind of a fixer character, kind of like a better call Saul sort of situation. Didn't this kind of seem like to you? Because we talked about him on a mini episode probably a couple months ago. ago. Yeah. And didn't it kind of seem just like reiterating a lot of like what he said during his testimony when he was being accused? Well, just kind of like... He made me do this. I can't remember. Yeah, I mean that wasn't his testimony though, because in in the past uh, that was just a statement that he made. Okay. Because in the past, the thing that has gotten him in trouble, in as much trouble as he's in right now, is constantly um, denying. Yeah. That the president ever had him do anything, or that they did anything wrong. And in the statement, he started to kind of like take that all away and admit some of the things the president has well, done. Well, he has to now. Well, yeah, and now he's like, here it is. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, because he has to. Because what happened before is he had pled guilty to a lot of crimes, including having lied to Congress in the yeah. past. So because of all of that, he's in a situation right now that he cannot lie to them or yeah. he will go to jail He'd for a fast. very long time. And that's kind of the thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit because... A lot of Republicans who were at this hearing mm-hmm. were saying, we can't trust anything Michael Cohen says exactly. because he's a liar. That's he's a liar. Reading. He's lied so many times in the past. How can we trust him now yeah. that what he's saying about Trump is true because he's a liar? And it's like, well, you know. Because if he's caught. Because he could go to jail for a really, really, like, this is serious well, business And now. honestly, one side has to be the truth. Right. You know, like and either, so if he was lying before exactly. in defense of Trump. Now he's flipped the script and he's trying to tell the truth. And so you want us one to think of those things has to he's be. He's lying both times. I mean, not that, that it's impossible, but it's not plausible. It really isn't because either either he's either he's denying what Trump has done or he's unveiling it. I don't think there's really any Right. He in was very clearly it. lying for Trump before. Yeah. yeah. And he's doing the opposite now. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of an interesting thing. So yeah. he his opening statement was Ugh. very long. I read a yeah. I read most of it. I love the most when he's just like he calls Trump a racist, a con man, and a cheat. Like right. he just lays it all very like civilian. Out yes, there and I I appreciate this because this is kind of. Um, sort of a similar thing happened to Nixon during Watergate. I can't remember the name of the person, but there, it, the House of Cards kind of came crashing down whenever the first person testified. And I feel like something similar will probably happen here. But I have to kind of check myself because I'm also like, let's not do with Cohen what we did with Comey in that mm-hmm. suddenly he becomes this, like, 
savior figure because yeah. we need we need someone to take Trump down because Cohen's a piece of shit person and he we, is. we and can't forget that, that. No, and I think that he can be both not a savior, but I think he can both be both he can be instrumental. A, yeah, very important part of this whole process, but also still be a bad person. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the person who like is an accessory to killing someone and helps you find the other person. Right. That did it. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make that mean they're not murderers yeah. or pieces of shit. I, I only say that because, like, during his testimony, there were times, it seemed like at times he was trying to take responsibility for himself. Yeah. And then there seemed to be other times where he didn't want to admit that he was such a big piece of shit. Yeah. And so he kept well, saying things like, um, you know, that he's a good man and this isn't who yeah. he is. And I'm like, I yeah. don't think you are a well, good man. And he kind of, and I remember my criticism of him the last time was his whole like I don't like it when people place full blame on somebody else for the bad things that they've done I just remember last time we talked about him I was kind of like you need to take some responsibility like yes this person hired you and you were doing what you felt you were hired to do and pressured you and made you feel Yes, but at the end of the day, like, I feel like... You're responsible you're for yourself. You're a responsible person. Of course, there are circumstances with people where you are manipulated. I'm not trying to, like, victim blame people who are actually in those kind of abusive but situations. But that's not this situation But that's not the situation. Like, at all. This where, man like, got greedy. Exactly. He and wanted he was like, to let's be... how far, see how far we can get this thing. Right, yeah, yeah. He wanted to be involved in something big. And the things that he did were awful and disgusting. Like, he yeah. said to other people who would threaten Trump that he would do disgusting things to them. Like, yeah. he could take them down. Yeah. Because I think he got caught up in this kind of, like, mob boss, mafia style. Yeah. Um, It was like his little boyhood dream come true. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of what he said in his testimony really did make me feel like the way that Trump operates is very much a mob boss mentality. I'm sure of he like, doesn't think of himself yeah, that Yeah, I'm way. sure he thinks of himself that way. And then he just has this, because what Cohen said was basically, like, did he ever explicitly tell me you have to lie to me, like, lie yeah. for me. No. But... But it was understood. It was understood. It yeah. was kind of this, like, um, thing that was communicated amongst everybody who worked for Trump that this is just what you do. Very much like a mob family mentality. You protect the well, boss. And then, right, and also when it comes to just, like, any position of power, like, you kind of know what this person is capable of. So it's right. like, it doesn't have to be explicitly said... You just know what could happen to you if maybe you don't follow his instructions as right, well. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, so let's go through. Politico wrote a great article where it kind of went through some of the most fiery accusations yeah. against Donald Trump that were in this um, opening statement. Because, uh-huh. like we said, this opening statement is very long and it contains a lot. And I recommend reading it. I read yeah. the majority of it. You know, it's been a crazy week, so... I didn't have an opportunity to read it all, but I read the majority of it, and it's a very interesting read. I would recommend it. But if you don't have time, here are some highlights from that statement. One of them is that Trump had prior knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting with Russia agents at the yeah. center of the special counsel Robert of special counsel Robert Mueller's probe. In quotes, it says, "Mr. Trump had frequently told me and others that his son Don Jr. had the worst judgment of anyone in the world," which. Man, Don Man. Jr. must be bummed out yeah, about that. He's because like, dude. He is so obviously constantly seeking his father's approval that he's yeah. probably bummed the fuck out. Yeah. That, like, he's like, oh, dad doesn't like me. Yeah, yeah. no kidding, dude. 
Um, Your dad's a fucking dick. He's a dick. And also that Don Jr. would never set up any meeting of any significance alone, and certainly not without checking with his father. So I concluded that Don Jr. was referring to that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting about dirt on Hillary with the Russian representative when he walked behind his dad's desk that day, and that Mr. Trump knew that was the meeting Don Jr. was talking about when he said, that's good, let me know. Yeah. So he, this isn't, like, anything super inflammatory. It's just, like, he's inferred that Donald Trump had to have known about what yeah. was going on because he never would have trusted Don Jr. to make this kind of decision on his own. Right. So that's one. It's not the most... It's not the most, like, scandalous. Direct, because it's not yeah. a direct link. Right. So. Um, another one. Trump's team communicated directly with WikiLeaks Julian Assange about a drop of hacked Democratic emails. So yes. during the 2016 election, for those who don't know... Fucking emails everywhere. So many emails. Um, Julian Assange of WikiLeaks leaked, and granted, this is shady, this is fucked up, and it did a lot of damage to um, the Democrats during the election, but Julian Assange leaked emails that basically said that the DNC was, like, giving Hillary answers. Like, they Mm -hmm. wanted her to have the nomination over Bernie, Mm -hmm. which was devastating to Democrats because then it made Bernie supporters livid, like, Mm -hmm. and super pissed off. So... It says, Mr. Roger Stone told Mr. Trump that he had just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange and that Mr. Assange told Mr. Stone that within a couple of days there would be a massive dump of emails that would damage Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mr. Trump responded by stating to the effect of, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. So. Well, that's that's like the whole basis of his campaign. Yeah, and it's a pretty, that's pretty inflammatory. Yeah. Um, okay, Trump cheated in his finances, cheated his business par- partners, lied about his net worth, cheated on his taxes, and was proud of it. Yeah, the financial statements from 2011 to 2013 that he gave to institutions such as uh, Deutsche Bank were given in the trial, correct, from what I understand? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and then the whole thing about, like, hush money to me, I mean, we already kind of knew all of that already, mm-hmm. too, about, like, how he would give hush money to people like Stormy Daniels oh, to like, yes. keep his affairs down yes. and things like that. Um, and he, like, Cohen actually did provide physical documents Yeah, well, he that. had, like, his, it was, it said he presented the committee with a check Trump wrote Cohen from his personal bank account after he became president to reimburse him for the hush yes. money. Yes, yes. Yeah. He also said that in 2008, he was cutting employees' salaries in half, including Michael Cohen's. So he says, when telling me in 2008 that he was cutting employees' salaries in half, including mine, he showed me what he claimed was a $10 million IRS IRS tax refund, and he said that he could not believe how stupid the government was for giving, quote, someone like him that much money. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, most of these just point to him being a, a pretty shitty person. He's I mean, just dumb, too. Yeah. This one I loved because it was so quintessential Trump. Like, it's so fucking petty that it makes me laugh. Trump used threats to keep his academic record mm-hmm. secret. <laughs> I know. And there were letters that... It says he... Are they talking about Trump or Cohen? Where it says... Oh, no. They're talking about Cohen. He talks about letters that he wrote, Cohen, under the direction of Trump that threatened his high school, colleges, and the college board not to release his grades or SAT scores. Which is so fucking funny to I me. mean... How Donald Trump and this, is that? And this is how um, Michael Cohen worded it, because I love that this man 
Michael Cohen used to say that he would take a bullet for Donald Trump, right? Yeah. Like, he was like, that's my bro. And now I love it that Cohen is so clearly jaded. Yeah. So he says, when I say con man, I'm talking about a man who declares himself brilliant, but directed me to threaten his high school, his colleges, and the college board to never release his grades or SAT scores. I want to see those grades oh. so badly. Yes, so do I. So do I. And he also um, he also bragged about getting out of the draft. Yeah. Because he was basically, Trump was basically like, am I dumb? Like, I'm not going to go to Vietnam. So yeah. he just bragged about the fact that, like, he made up some kind of medical issue so he didn't have to join the military. Tisk, tisk, tisk. This is a man who's in charge of getting people actually killed right now. Like, yeah. overseas in war situations. So that's fantastic. Oh, good. This all just makes me feel really, really great. Yeah, fantastic. Trump regularly derided African Americans. Quote, he once asked me if I could name a country run by a black person that wasn't a shithole. Oh. We've heard that United word before. United States of America? Um, this was when Barack Obama was president yeah. of the United States. When we were once driving through a struggling neighborhood in Chicago, he commented that only black people could live that way. And he told me that black people would never vote for him because they were too stupid. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think it's also good to point out that Donald Trump's father was a notorious racist mm -hmm. in New York City who would not rent to black people, who was a member of the KKK. So this goes back generations in Donald Trump's family, and it's not something that we should be at Mr. all... Mr. Trump is a racist. <laughs> well, that's really funny, actually, that that... <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose, but I'm keeping that in. For a second, I thought that was, like, your text tone or no. something. No. Oh, my God. That should be. Wouldn't that be hilarious if every time I got a text? Oh, my God. That'd be so funny. <laughs> Trump is a racist. Mr. Trump is, is a racist. racist. Um, but, yeah. Like, like this isn't anything that should be surprising to anyone. This is what he grew up in. And right. I think people have this mentality of, like, racism only exists in the South. Yeah. And it's like, no, no. There were massive racists yeah. in like, big cities like New York. Well, and it's also such, like, a class thing, too. Like, I feel like Absolutely. the rich people were kind of like, well, you know, like, they were able to kind of, like, bend the rules a little bit because they wanted to, like, still be in cahoots with yeah, those people. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's super classist. It's super, super classist. Interns um, racist. Yes. And the last bullet point that I have here is that he didn't think he would win the presidency, which, I mean, to me is so clear. Yeah. To me, that is so clear that, like, he wanted to do this deal with Russia. It had nothing to do... And and he wanted to do this for his own ego. And he wanted it to be one big infomercial commercial for Trump, right? Yeah. Um, and then he was going to go start his own news network or whatever the yeah. fuck he well, was going like that to go whole, do. Was it SNL that did that whole thing where it's like they were actually writing all of Trump's stuff and he's like, guys, how much longer am I going to have to do this? That well, sketch? Well, there were reports that on the night of... Of the election, like, Melania was, like, openly sobbing, and, like, Trump was freaking out because He's like, he fuck, was I like, actually fuck, I'm going to actually win. Yeah. And I don't think that any of them really wanted that. Now, I think after he did win, the way that Trump's ego is set up, I think he totally thought that he could do this now. Yeah. And, like... He, I think he did sell himself the lie that, like, he could be a really good president. Yeah. So... He probably had enough yes-men around him, too, to kind of, like, convince him that... 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. And he's like, yeah. I am going to be great. I am great. And I am going to be you. great. You I are will right, be great. Sir. You know what? Yeah. So you're right. I'm interested to see the direction that this story goes. Yeah. I think it will be an interesting outcome. I'm glad that someone is coming out and saying all this stuff and being yeah. truthful. I believe he's being truthful. I don't I see mean, why he would lie at this point. All of honestly things that like we kind of already knew right. in but a way. But this is what we need. We need people yeah. on the inside coming out and being like, no, no, no. All exactly. that stuff you kn- you think you know is true. Is it bad that I'm still like super negative about all of this? Where I'm like, oh, no. yeah, all this I stuff am. is coming out. But it's like, I just don't think, like I think it's doing something because it's bringing it to light. But also we were just talking about how Republicans are still switching it. Like he was a liar. How are you going to believe a liar? Right. Like I feel like the people that have have this like these like rose colored glasses on don't want to see the issues like i feel like we're still he's still going to complete his his presidency you know what uh, i mean like, i know no no i'm with i just you. don't really feel i mean hopefully after his presidency we see some sort of justice i'm with you completely i feel the exact same way like i want this man's name to be smeared i want which was already going to happen i think but like i want history to remember him as being such a piece of shit oh exactly um i want his so any little bit i guess helps in like the long right i want his life to essentially be over whenever he is out of office Uh, but do i think that any of this is going to result in any kind of i don't think think trump is going i don't think he's gonna step down and i don't think he's gonna see the inside of a jail cell like i don't i don't think any of this stuff is really going to happen um so i'm trying not to get like my hopes up that any of that's going to happen but it's still good to to have you know i really love how alexandria ocasio-cortez like handled the whole situation because this was like her first big like thing from what I've read. I'm sorry, I'm horrible at the politics. No, you're stuff. good. You're good. Um, but like I like how specific she was when asking her questions to uh, Cohen. I only have one example written down, but she asked, "To your knowledge, did Donald Trump ever provide inflated assets to an insurance company?" And he had. So she was just. It kind of showed how like badass she was at being able to handle the, like the questions. Yes, she asked like very that. specific questions. Where there was no wiggle room. If you look at people on the other side of the aisle, their questions were, I think, very vague and very broad because yeah. they didn't have. Like at one point, whenever Cohen is trying to say that like Trump is racist. One of the Republicans came out and said, like, oh, he's racist. Look at this black staffer he hired. And you're saying he's racist? And um, Michael Cohen's like, yeah, I helped her get that job. Yeah. Uh, But ask Trump how many, like, higher-ups in his businesses or higher-ups in his campaign are black people. Yeah, it's optics. Right, yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, what a weird fucking thing to say, too. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, he has a black friend. They're just trying to create doubt. That's the whole thing. They're just trying to create as much doubt in people's minds and have enough things for the right to grab upon to be like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah, If, if you look at the specifics from the left and the questions they were asking versus the very, like, broad nature yeah. of the questions that were being asked on the other side, I think it's pretty clear to see who's telling the truth and yeah. who's not. In my personal opinion. That's yeah. kind of how I feel about that. Yeah. So, yeah, this story will continue un- to unfold, and yeah. um, we will continue to touch on it. 
mm-hmm. as new things come out. Yeah. Okay, I know that you have a lot of stuff about the Oscars. Yes. Can I talk specifically about Green Book for a minute? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I have not seen this movie. I've seen trailers for it, really wanted to see it. Um, so I will I'm, watch it. I haven't seen it yet. I will watch so, it, but there is a ton of controversy yes, surrounding this so movie. So for those who don't know, Green Book won Best Picture. Yes. Most people here in, at least in California where we're from, because it's so close to the industry. Yeah. I don't know anybody who had pegged Green Book to win. No, but that's such an Oscars thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, there's been a lot of movies in the past where I'm like, really? That well, one? Well, I think a lot of what... Okay, so talk to me about what you've got. Yeah, so... I found this really great uh, list, and I can't remember where it's from, so I will look it up and say it at the end of the episode. Um, But I found this really great list of the different controversies that have happened um, since September through now involving this movie. So, on September 8th, 2018, Viggo Mortensen uses the N-word in a post-screening Q&A. He said, people don't say N-word anymore, except for he didn't say N-word. He said the word. Right. Um, and then he, like, looks over to, um, like, Ma... I always say his Mahershala. name. Mahershala? Mahershala Ali. And he's, like... And he kind of tries to be, like, digging himself out of that hole. He's like, I don't say that. I don't... Whatever. But anyways, he did apologize. Why can't white people just not say it? Oh, I don't understand. It's, it's so like, weird to me because I actually genuinely seem... I like Viggo Mortensen from yeah. what I, I know of him. And he's a very well-educated man. He speaks like six languages. Yeah, and he's and like, I'm just I like, don't say that word. I don't say that word. Then why like, couldn't you, you have it. not said it just now? But you said it. I don't yeah. understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, and then in November, uh, it says November 21st, 2018, the Shirley family denounces the film. Uh, Shirley's youngest and last living brother, Maurice, insisted that the film is full of lies. Is that Mahershala Ali's character? Yes. Okay. Um, He stated it was once again a depiction of a white man's version of a black man's life. To make the story about a hero of a white man for this incredibly accomplished black man is insulting at best. Okay. So we also kind of know through this... Oh, so also um, Vale Longa, am I saying his name right? I don't know. Did not introduce Shirley... Oh, they're saying that the character in the movie did not introduce Shirley to Fried Chicken and Little Richard. You know, like, that's an example of things that are, like, clearly not Mm, true. mm -hmm. Um, So his, uh, Valilonga, however you say, I'm sorry, I haven't seen the movie, however you say his name, his audio tapes were the ones that were used to make the film. So it was from his perspective. So a lot of the things that were there, it was was set up from the beginning to be, like, a white hero story to a black man. So in December... Uh, December 14th, 2018, Mahershala Ali... Am I saying his name right? Mahershala. Mahershala. I said Mahershala. It's wrong. The inflection is wrong. Mahershala Ali apologizes to Shirley's family for his role in the film because since then, more family members had spoke out against the film. And the movie depicted him from being cut off from his family and the black community when in reality, he was friends with Martin Luther King Jr. and Nina Simone. And he was also the best man at his brother's wedding. But Mahershala Ali says that um, he had called the family apologizing, saying that he did the best he could with the material, but he wasn't aware that there was close family members to consult. Which, to me, I'm like, on one side, I'm like, okay, yes, you, by the way the story was told, you wouldn't assume that there was someone that you can contact. But, like, I feel like that's pretty basic research. I I feel like it is, too, but I don't know. I mean... Like, and I'm not trying to criticize him necessarily, but, like, to me, that just kind of seemed like, I don't know. Like, I think about what we do for research when we're doing the show, 
and how I know for myself, if there's a certain influential person that's mentioned or family member, I tend to also click on that person and to see what that relationship is like, just to kind of get a more overview of what that person is. I could if see, you're though. doing a role, I feel like there's a lot of research that goes into that, that, like, maybe he knew about them but thought there was no way, like, that they weren't in contact or that they were estranged. I don't know. I could see myself just trusting the material, though. I mean... I don't think you always... I don't know that every person who does a biopic always contacts family members. And I also think... I think it depends on what you're going for as well. But you always hear about, like, did you get the family's blessing? Did you ever meet... Like, I feel like that's such a Well, but they had one family involved because one of the writers was the son of of Viggo Mortensen's character. But they had one main character's family Right, but, I mean, I could also... I, I, don't I don't know. I don't really pin it on Mahershala Ali's I'm not pinning, failing. I'm not pinning anything on him necessarily. I'm just saying that it seems like kind of an easy answer. Well, but I also feel like as an actor, this is just me playing devil's yeah. advocate. Like, I feel like me, like as an actor, I think it depends on what you're going for. Some people go for something very specific where they try to recreate that character. Like, you watch Will Smith doing Muhammad Ali, and you're like, oh, he's being Muhammad Ali, trying to get the inflection of his voice and the way he moves and all of that stuff down. And then you have other things like um, David Oyelowo being Martin Luther King, which is more like he tried to capture the essence of Martin Luther King without copying all of his movements or speech pattern. Without, like, mimicking it. Right, because maybe his process as an actor, it's easier that way. Right. And I could totally see myself being like... I don't want to get too bogged down. I want to portray the essence of what this person was in yeah. my own way. I mean, maybe that's just you know? my I difference. Don't know. Because for me, I'm 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 kind of the opposite. I mean, I don't think I would necessarily. I don't know where I would choose when it comes to mimicking or creating the essence of it. But for me, I like to know as as much information as I can. Where if there was a way for me to contact a family member and be like, "Hey, I'm going to play this person." Just tell me a little bit about him. Tell me his favorite color. Tell me his favorite movie. Like, there are just things that I feel like are helpful to kind of, like, have in your toolbox to, like, draw upon when you're being a character. But that may not have been his experience. Again, not blaming him. I'm just saying that just had a couple red lights flashing when I read it. Mm -hmm. So, on January 6th, 2019, it wins three Golden Globes. And it's basically, for the speech, it's like a bunch of white men making a speech about race relations in America. Right. And it's just kind of like, huh. The next day, January 7th, 2019, Peter Farrelly apologizes for flashing his penis in the workplace years earlier. That same day, anti-Muslim conspiracy tweets from Vallelonga resurfaces. He is the son of the character Viggo Mortensen... He is the character of the... Son of character Viggo Mortensen answered for a tweet from 2015 in which he agreed with Trump... Wait, sorry, can you re-say that? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to understand it, too. So I think he's the son... Of the character of Viggo, Viggo Mortensen. Morton so, playing. Think, so one of the writers, because he he wrote on the film. Yes. Okay. So he is saying that. So in 2015, I think, I'll, I'll fact check. It he later. did like a tweet that Donald Trump had posted. Is yes. That what it is? Uh, yes. He agreed with Trump that there was footage on 9/11 of New Jersey Muslims celebrating after the attack, which is not true. And has been debunked many, many times. Right. Yeah. But he was but in 2015 he was. He like, liked that it. tweet, yeah. yes. So the the thing that got me reading more into the controversies was that I was reading an article on BuzzFeed uh, earlier this week about how Spike Lee was visibly angry when the movie won. 
uh, he left until the speeches were over and came back. And when asked about the Green Book winning the top prize of the media room after the show, he said, let me take another sip, drinks his champagne. Next question. Well, I think also something that was interesting that I learned about Spike Lee was his film was nominated, Do the Right Thing, was nominated um, back when it came out, and the movie that won that year was Driving Miss Daisy. Mm-hmm. So I think there might be some additional things in there for him. Oh, I as think well. so too. But it made and me, but it it made me curious as to like what all was going on because the article was talking about controversy surrounding the film, and and honestly, well, I think it's difficult in a time whenever the Oscars are obviously, clearly, almost to the point of pandering. To be honest trying to be more inclusive yeah. and diverse like um, truly like listen i you know everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much i loved black panther and thought yeah. that it was a culturally so important movie i don't know that it needed to be nominated for best picture and i feel yeah. like it being nominated for best picture was kind of pandering to the black community yeah. because this was such a big cultural moment so it's clear to me in a time right now when they're trying so hard to pander specifically to black people in general to people of color that it can feel kind of insulting that this is the thing that wins. And it made sense to me. I had a conversation with my brother when I was at home when he brought up that, like, actually, it's kind of exactly what would win because a lot of the voting members of the Academy are, like, old white people, and they will see this as a triumph for race relations. Yes, because it's a white savior story. And that's the thing, and and that's what I was going to say, that's the thing that bothers me is this trope of... Um, movies featuring people of color, but still having it be this whole the white person comes in to save the right. day. And and I will um, again say like I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I have not either. So I need to withhold like all of my judgment yeah. until I have watched it. Um, but I mean, I I did feel like it was a little bit of a letdown, and it was a movie yeah. that I wanted to see because I think that this story of, the story seemed interesting to me. I would I would really like to see the movie and then have and more opinions. The about understanding it. of what the Green Book was is something that I feel like a lot of Americans have no knowledge of, and something that I feel like people need to understand that mm-hmm. this was a time in American history when black people literally could not travel safely Mm -hmm. across the United States and needed to utilize a book that directed them Mm -hmm. where safe places were to go. Yeah, I definitely think that it's a good story. I love that idea. Which is really unfortunate then that, you know, now I know when I see it that it is going to be framed in a certain light, a certain perspective. So, So, yeah, yeah, I want to watch it and kind of create my own conclusions, but I will touch on this very briefly because we need to read our listener mail. Yes. But, um... I, Spike Lee is one of those people who, every time you saw him at any award show, he looked bored or pissed off. As soon as he won his Oscar, I have never seen that man look so happy in my life. Like, he was so happy, because this is a man who's been in this business for so fucking long. He fucking deserved this shit. And he was nominated for so fucking long. He was nominated five times for an Oscar. Yeah. So, um, that's amazing. Here we go again, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it looked very routine for him. So, and clearly, he could act like it didn't matter to him, but when he won, you could so see that it mattered so much. And, like, so that kind of warmed my heart. Regina King won Best Supporting Actress, Mm -hmm. which warmed my heart as well. 
And Roma did really well. Yeah. So there was a lot of diversity. What did you I don't I don't think we have time to like really dive into this like we should and we can talk about this another time. Um but what did you think about Rami Malik uh calling Freddie Mercury a gay man in his speech? Because there's been some criticisms about that. Um I don't really know. I mean because they do say that he's bisexual. I mean, in I, in the movie, they framed it as though he was gay. Yeah, but so, I think, but a lot of people are claiming, and he I never don't came know. out, right? So and that's my, the thing. But a lot yeah. of people in the bisexual community are saying that it's kind of like overshadowing people who are bisexual, which I complete, well, which is an issue. You know in, what I mean? In my opinion, here's my opinion on it. Like, I think because Freddie Mercury never came out and had his own say about his identity. Yeah. Um. If I was Rami Malek, I wouldn't speculate Mm -hmm. because, yes, he very clearly had a very loving relationship with a man that lasted a long time. Yeah. Um, But he also was married to a woman, and who's to say where... Well, I don't think they ever got married. Yeah, he was. Well, did they not? I'm pretty sure they were. I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think think that it's important to highlight that he was, like, not straight. Right, he was like of course. In, in the queer community. But you I know? would hesitate, <clears throat> and I saw the movie. Specific I saw language. Bohemian Rhapsody, I and loved that and movie. they definitely framed it as though he was a gay man yeah. who was kind of hiding yeah, from yeah, his yeah. identity. That's how they framed it. Um, but we don't actually know that, and yeah. so he could fall anywhere on that spectrum. Right. I, I appreciate the intention that he had behind saying it, but I do understand where people are coming from, where it's kind of like, you can't speculate what this person's identity is. Yeah, it's not was. really your place to decide. Right, but I think it was important that he did discuss that, yes, we're telling a story about a person who was not just this straight rock musician, you know? Right. So, that's where I'm kind Which of Which is like, very cool, yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, I see what his intention was, but, you know. So, this is from our listener, Madison. She sent us a really great email. She says, Hi, Keegan and Madigan. My name is Madison, and I just started listening to your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, and I love it so much. Oh, my God, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) As a feminist that comes from a small rural, and I don't feel like I need to say this, primarily white and conservative town in New Mexico. Oh, hey, New Mexico. Oh, hey. Hi. (laughs) Home state. (coughs) Oh, fuck. Okay. Your podcast has exposed me to new ideas and ways of thinking, and I appreciate that so much. I felt compelled to write you guys after hearing some comments you guys, particularly Madigan, made during the Selma episode of the podcast that was put out a few weeks ago. The comments were about not saying that word during literally any situation if you're a white person, even in a play where it's your line or during a song when it's said because allies just don't do that and because it isn't white, because it isn't white people's word to use. My mom grew up in SoCal during the 80s and some of the 90s, so she listens to a lot of hip-hop and rap from that era, as well as this current era, and the music tastes of my younger brothers and I greatly mirror the genre of music we were exposed to during our childhood. Put simply, we all listen to hip-hop and rap. I'm going to pull a Northam and and be up front and admit that when I was younger, I would say that word when it came up in a song, and I was honestly under the impression that it was okay to say it because it was in a song. Until a friend who was black came to me crying because she had been around a group of white people who were rapping along to a song that had that word in it, and they all said it. Until then, I had never witnessed how big of an impact that word could have on a black person. It was jarring to see a black person's reaction to that because coming from a small white town, I wasn't really exposed to people of color. Immediately after that, I quit saying that word, and I love how every time she says that, it's an italicized <laughs> that word uh, during songs, and replaced it with similarly syllabled words like person, or people, or killa, or illa. My, 
Ella. If I said that, I would look like a fucking So idiot. would I. I'm the whitest fucking person if I was like, Ella. People would be like, who the fuck? Sorry. <laughs> Even just reading it in this email, I'm like, what did I just say? Okay. My brothers, on the other hand, have not had a similar experience and continue to say the word, not only during songs, but also during normal conversation. I have confronted them about this many times and have asked them to stop and explain the reason for my request, but to no avail. I have also tried talking to my mom about it, but she doesn't see a problem with it because they don't say it around black people. (laughs) And because she's from California and she said, and she had black friends that were okay with her saying it. I mean, haven't you heard that a million times? Yes. Um, I have tried so many times to have real human have real human-to-human, not-big-sister-to-little-brother conversations with them, and they still continue to say it. As an ally, I want to keep up the fight and continue to urge them to stop saying the word because as an ally, I feel strongly compelled to keep fighting. But I honestly feel so defeated. What should I do to make them see how it's not fair, it's not their word to use and how much it hurts black people to see a white person use it? Any and all suggestions are welcome. Love always, Madison. Well, here's the thing. People grow at their own rate of speed, and sometimes it takes something like what happened to you being exposed to it directly, the adverse effects of it directly, to make a change. Yeah. And people want to do what they want to do, and if this is something they want to do that they don't think is harmful, they're not going to... Mm -hmm. Change. Well, especially because they're like, we don't say it in front of black people. Like, but, but the, okay. you still know it's wrong. Yeah, that, that's a massive trigger for me because yeah. I'm just like, if you just don't say it in front of black people clearly, you know, you know what you're doing is what wrong. What you're doing is wrong because if you you can say like, well, I said it in front of black people that I knew and they were fine with it, but yeah. then why don't you say it in all in front of all black people because right. you know that all black people won't be fine with it. Exactly. Um, exactly. So you should just stop saying it altogether, uh, and that should be a very clear. Yeah. You Can know. I read the email that I said back to her? Sure. Was part of it. Okay. I know we're running long. We said we we had time. We don't. Um, I said hi, Madison. Madigan here. I have had exactly your experience and continue to this day to have this conversation with friends and family members. I am not here to say that I've never said it in a song or in general in my life, but when we are young, we don't always realize the gravity of our words. Now that I'm older and have a greater understanding of how hurtful language can be, I try to educate others to do the same. But here's the thing. We cannot make anyone do or stop doing anything or saying anything. They have to make that decision or that mistake for themselves if they choose not to listen to you. Maybe say to them not to use that word around you because it upsets you and warn them of the ramifications and hurt it can bring to the black community. If they still choose to use that word, you've done the best you can. I go on from there, but that's kind of like the gist of it, where for me, I feel like I, when I talk to people about any sort of discussion, especially when it comes to anything that is feminist or to do with race or the LGBTQ community, if you're trying to educate someone or you're trying to change their behavior, being an ally means saying something, but not necessarily um, having to change a person's mind. You can just do the best that you can with the knowledge and the education that you have, each person is going to make that own decision and that own mistake for themselves. And it, it becomes tricky you know, when it's family. And like, yeah. I understand that it's very difficult. It's not like a friend that you can just cut off and walk away from. It's well, a family right. member. So and she I, just has to, but she has to have solace in the fact that she's tried. You know what I mean? Like she can't beat her. Cause to me, when she emailed us, she's like, what can I do to change? No, you've minds? done everything you can do. Exactly. That's, 
Exactly. I mean, that, that's I just want to make sure she feels yeah. like, no, what you're doing, what you did and what you're doing is the right thing to do, but you can't change anybody's mind. No, no. You're not in control of other people. Like, yeah. you can't change their thoughts and feelings and emotions. You can only do what you can do. And I think that your response is exactly right. Like, you can ask them not to do that in front of you, and maybe if they ever take the time to actually sit and think hard about why you wouldn't want that said in front of you, or maybe someday they'll have a similar experience as you. Um, I hope not, because I don't want... I don't want these results to come at the consequence of the emotional labor of black people. I don't want yeah. black people to have to be hurt Yeah. for white people to, to understand yeah. why these things are hurtful. So I hope that your brothers can learn that without that. But also, I come from a very conservative family with very different views than me. And so I know better than I think a lot of people that... Your brothers aren't bad people. I'm sure of that. Your mother is not a bad person or anything like that. I mean, I have a lot of good friends that just still don't understand it. They just don't understand it, which is wrong because it's been presented to them, all the reasons they need to understand it, and they're being willfully ignorant. But that's people. Yeah. You know, that's people. And all you can hope for, you are in charge of you and live your life to the best way that you can. Yeah. And you, as an ally can only do what you can do as an ally and um it sounds like you're doing everything you can do yeah that's it that's it that's all you can do you know you can't make them think one way or another so at least have solace in the the work that you've done and we're very proud of you for doing yes absolutely so thank you so much for writing us yeah that's wonderful sorry this episode was so long it'll probably be cut down Eh, a little bit a little bit it's fine you know Fuck it. We haven't had a long mini in a while. Yeah. Y'all can deal. It's totally fine. We had a lot to talk about. Yeah. So with that said, I guess we can say to email us mm-hmm. at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. If you have a sister solidarity story or you want to share something with us the way that Madison did, um, please email us or you can DM us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. You can get us on Facebook. We have a group page and also a business page. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can review us on our business page or we love love getting new reviews on our Apple Podcast page. We love it. So please do that. We will feature you on Reviews Day Tuesday. Sure will. If you uh, leave us a review. Anything else? I mean, we can mention Twitter, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess we could mention Twitter. I still can't get into it on my phone. Sorry, guys. I can get into it, and I keep thinking I'm going to tweet. I'm just very bad at it. So I get on there. We need to, like, hire someone to just, like, tweet. Yeah, I get on there, and I'll, like respond to people who have commented our, on a, our yeah. things, but, like, I don't actively tweet, so... So fuck more than I do. <laughs> so, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Yamp Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. We both went up. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it for all of your support. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.